This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. Curious how sailors used to get their tattoos centuries ago? On this week's PreserveCast, we'll be talking with Owen McGarry, a New England tattoo artist who specializes in hand-poked tattoos. The stick-and-poke tattoo method has been performed for thousands of years, from sailors to indigenous Americans and Europeans. Owen will walk us through the slow tattooing process and where he gets his inspiration from for this historic trade. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're thrilled to be talking with Owen McGarry, um, who is a New England tattoo artist um, and who specializes in hand-poked tattoos. Um, and we're going to talk about all of that and his his background and, and how he got into this really amazing form of artistry and um, is preserving a trade, um, not unlike preserving the trade of historic carpentry or masonry. Um, he's just doing something that probably showed up on historic mason and carpens, carpenter's arms. Um, but before we get into all of that, I would love to get to know you, a little, learn a little bit more about you. You've got a big um, following on Instagram. And so, um, you know, I think people can follow you there. And we're going to put links in the show notes so they can actually see this work because there's something to be said for actually getting to see it. Um, but where did you grow up and how did you kind of become what you are today as a, as a working artist? So I grew up mostly in the Boston area around, um, I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts and out in the suburbs for a little while as well. Um, though my family always spent time along the coast, my grandparents had a place on Martha's Vineyard and my grandfather was, despite growing up in Michigan, um, quite a, quite a fan of like sailing and, and swimming and the sea just in general. So I kind of grew up doing clam bakes with him and um, have always had an affinity for for the sea. Um, and I moved around a bunch in my in my 20s and finally settled back in the Boston area. But for a time I was I was living on Martha's Vineyard um, and working as a wooden boat builder at Gannon and Benjamin there. Uh, I ended up doing a lot of woodworking out of out of school and i was just surrounded by a lot of uh just old folk art basically old maritime folk art there was the shop was just had things just plastered on the walls just old scraps cut out of magazines just people's drawings uh and it really got me interested in kind of related crafts to the boat building which got me into tattooing eventually so would you consider yourself let me, let me restate that. Did you always consider yourself an artist? I mean, so you, because like the idea of just jumping into like, oh yeah, and now I'm going to take on tattoo, you know, um, hand poke tattoo work. Like, were you always good at drawing and always um, a skill with that? And how did you, how did you land in, in boat building, which is an artistry unto itself, but yeah. how did you get to there? Um, so actually I, I really Growing up, did not consider myself an artist at all. Um, I always liked making things. I tinkered a lot with um, like mechanics. I, I played around in a machine shop in high school, um, did robotics and that kind of thing. And originally thought I was going to be an engineer and looked into engineering 
colleges only to realize that you don't really make things as an engineer. So I ended up kind of diverting into um, industrial design. Uh, most of my mother's side of the family are in design fields, industrial design or architecture mostly. So I guess it was just uh, there. And I was like, oh, I want to do stuff with my hands, basically. Um, but I never, I still don't really think I'm particularly good at drawing. I was actually talking to my grandmother a couple hours ago and was trying to explain to her that though I have to draw each tattoo out, I don't think that the drawing itself is the art. It's it's not really finished until it is a tattoo. And I don't think it makes as much sense on the paper as it does in the skin. Well, I think I think I would disagree with you. I think you're you're a hell of an artist, but but we'll we'll and I'm sure your grandmother said the same thing. I mean, I, I, think, uh, <laughs> I, I think I have definitely become an artist, but I still don't think drawing is my medium per se. OK, I think no, that makes sense. Tattooing, and the drawing is just a a means to the end of a tattoo basically. Oh, fascinating. So so ta so the drawing is almost like applying the 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 gesso to the to the uh, to the the you know the the canvas and then the the painting or, is the actual part. Or perhaps right. like the blueprints for the boat or whatever that you're going right. to build. Right. It's an intermediary stage but not the art itself. So you're you're boat building and then you're looking around and you're like wow, this is really cool stuff. I love all of this old sketch material and scrimshaw and um cool things that people have drawn in the past and how do you take that and jump to i'm going to start tattooing people and who was the first person <laughs> crazy enough to be like yeah i want to go for it um well i mean so living on martha's vineyard in the winter there's not a lot to do so i was kind of scraping for a an interminably long hobby um and ended up deciding to start tattooing my legs. I'd had some, I'd received some tattoos at that point. So knew how the process was supposed to work, but, um, just kind of started on my thighs and kept going, um, and didn't tattoo anyone else for quite a while. Actually. Um, I ended up moving to, to New Zealand after I lived on Martha's Vineyard. And I think due to, due to, like indigenous tattooing traditions there, they have much different regulations around it. And so I was finally able to kind of somewhat comfortably tattoo on other people when I was living down there. So why don't we talk about the actual process of this? Because most people, I would say probably 99% of people listening, if they've received a tattoo, have been tattooed with a modern machined needle you know yeah. that actually does the work talk to us about what this is how old the style is like where this goes back to um and the actual maybe then the process for giving someone a tattoo uh, with stick and poke um so historically until really the late 1800s all tattoos would have been hand poked anywhere in the world um it was Samuel Riley here in the States. I don't remember the exact year, but late 1800s who invented the tattoo machine. And it obviously took a while then to become adopted across the West. But before that, any tattoo, whether it be Hong Kong, whether it be in Australia, whether it be here, would have been done hand-poked. And effectively, it's just the artist holds the needle in their hand and each little prick is 
pushed into the skin by hand. The machine effectively does the same thing just with repeated a motor that causes it to repeat basically over and over again, much faster. But there are differences in the line quality that you can only really achieve by hand poking. So the line quality is better in hand poking? Not necessarily. Um, it can be, it can definitely be comparable to a machine, but machines, you just get a bit more of a folksy line quality that some people like, some people don't. And I do try and honestly minimize in my work. So it's not, um, cause people, a lot of people associate hand poking with these very poorly done amateur tattoos, but they can be incredibly clean and crisp. And so I'm aiming for that as much as possible, but even still, there's like a slightly detectable little, little variation in the lines that would be how tattoos would have looked historically. And how much effort goes into making them look historic? Like, it, are there some people who are like, I want this tattoo to look like I'm an 18th century sailor. And I want it. And, and how do we know what an 18th century sailor's arm would have looked like? Do we have a sense for that? Um, to some extent. So I have done a, a number of tattoos like that. We, I am not a historian, but there are a number of historians who have done incredibly good research on the subject. Um, so there is particularly one of the references I use the most is the Australian penal colony records, because each person who was transported to Australia had all distinguishing features documented. And they're all written descriptions, not, um, like prints or sketches, but they're descriptions of each tattoo that people had. Um, and there is a, a man, I think it was Simon Bernard, a, a scholar who kind of went through and art and uh, cataloged each tattoo referenced how many people had tattoos, what the subject matter of each one was. And it's an incredibly useful um, uh, just body of, of reference work. So I take stuff like that, references to tattoos, descriptions of tattoos, then look at other mediums from the period, whether that be scrimshaw, engravings, um, chapbooks that have woodcuts in them, um, like old magazines. Um, I have I have a tattoo on my arm that is inspired by a tobacco tin that someone had punctured the lid of with like a thumbtack or something to create a little design. So trying to find motifs from that period that would make sense to be tattooed. And how long does it take to give one of these tattoos? I mean, people are familiar with how long it would take to give a, you know, a tattoo, like a modern tattoo. How long does it compare? Does it just depend on the size? Um, so it's, it's generally about maybe three times longer. Um, I always tell people that the lines take a lot more time than say areas of black fill because you have to be extremely focused to get a, a crisp line. So something can be very line heavy, but small and take forever. Whereas something that's large, but has kind of bold, minimal use of lines, but very bold lines won't take especially long. And um, I, I, some people are probably listening or curious, you know, and they've heard different things about this. Does it hurt more or less than a modern tattoo or does it just depend? 
Um, I would say your mileage will vary, but my experience and it's definitely been mirrored by a lot of my clients is that it does tend to hurt a bit less. That said, after a couple hours, regardless of how you're getting the tattoo, it starts to become a pretty unpleasant experience again. So, you know, after three hours, you might wish it had been done two hours ago. But generally, I would say that hand poking is a bit less painful and it does tend to heal a bit quicker and more cleanly as well, just because I'm doing the bare minimum number of pokes to get the right amount of ink in and no more. So there's just less skin trauma. Let's take a quick break, come back and then talk about um, the research that's gone into and the, the practice that it took to become so skilled at getting these lines down. And then maybe some of the work that you did at the Eric Sloan Museum and how all okay. of that has kind of been impacting your work. And we'll do that here on PreserveCast. Historic preservation can't happen without skilled tradespeople to perform the work. And there's a critical need right now for those tradespeople. The Campaign for Historic Trades, powered by Preservation Maryland, is working to meet that need by strengthening apprenticeship opportunities within historic trades. In partnership with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center and Conservation Legacy, the campaign is currently recruiting for NPS Traditional Trades Apprenticeship Program, or TTAP. TTAP is an intensive 20-week apprenticeship that provides young adults the chance to learn historic trade skills while working on America's most iconic historic sites. Multiple positions are open for the 2022 season at national parks across the country. Visit historictrades.org for more information on TTAP and how to apply today. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast today. We are talking to Owen McGarry, and we are talking all about um, his work um, as a hand poke uh, tattoo artist and what it takes to get that work done. Um, and, bef- you know, we kind of got a good introduction to um, how the work um, of stick and poke or, or hand poke is done. Um, but I'm curious, I mean, you said that you started on yourself and then you got to New Z- Zealand and people started letting you do a little bit more there. How long did it take before you really felt like, wow, I've really got something here, like I'm really good at this? Um, do you, do you have like a, a, a blurry, like Eagle somewhere on your ankle that is, you know, that, that was your practice one or how did, how did it, how did that kind of come together? Cause I'm curious, you know, with modern tattooing, there is a threshold for learning, but did you use, you know, like a prosthetic to tattoo on or how does that all come together? I never ended up using a prosthetic. I, I went straight to my legs and just kind of worked my way, worked my way down there. But, and as for a period where I felt like I was good, I mean, I think a lot of other craftspeople can relate, but I still don't know if I'm at that point yet. I mean, I think my work is good, but there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. Um, And it's certainly a lot better than it was like two, three years ago. I've been tattooing for eight years now. So there's always, there's always room for improvement and I'm sure my stuff, three years will look much better than it does now. And what's the universe of people doing this kind of tattooing in the U.S.? Is there a a group of you? How many people are tattooing like this? And is there, what would you say the level of interest is in this type of tattooing? So there's definitely a number of other hand-poked tattoo artists across the country. Um, It's definitely had a bit of a resurgence in the last couple of years, just as a medium in general. But no one else 
as far as I'm aware, is kind of going at it with the like historic reference um, angle, basically. So as far as I know, I'm one of the few people who's kind of focusing on trying to to do cleaner versions of traditional tattoos by hand. Um, and I mean, I've been able to to find a decent client base. I have a lot of a lot of people who are in other historic crafts who are definitely drawn to it. A I had I had one day where I had three clients, two of whom were both timber framers but didn't know each other. So there's there's definitely something there. And a lot of historic reenactors, there's a lot of there's a lot of historic reenactors and interpreters in the Boston area. And a lot of them are drawn to to get something that that could be seen while they're in period costume, but not necessarily look like out of character for the period. And as we discussed offline previous, it it is a challenge though if you wanted to take this and somebody in Virginia said, Oh, come down and there we got this big event and everybody wants one. It's not exactly a skill that transports itself that way because of the regulations around it and the registrations around it. Is that one of the issues and challenges? So that's honestly not always a big challenge. A lot of it's fairly easy for tattoo artists to travel to different different studios. It's outside of a or like registered tattoo studio that it gets trickier, um, legally trickier. Okay. So outside of the studio is, is the issue. So if somebody was yeah. listening and they wanted to, to sponsor you to come down to, to their state and, and set up at a studio for a week, you could come and do a, a week. If someone in. has a shop, I would love to do some guest spots across, uh, across North America. So yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I think that would be cool. And to find different historical icons associated with those places to offer that. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to the question I was going to ask you. We've previously had on um, um, folks from the Eric Sloan Museum in a previous episode of Preserve Cast. And as listeners know, I'm a big Eric Sloan fan, love his books and uh, like trying to sketch like Sloan. And um, you got a chance to go and be sort of a, a, a Sloan fellow, a Sloanist, a Sloaniac. I don't know what, what they what they call him. An, um, an artist in residence. Yes, an artist in residence at the at the Sloan Museum. What did you do with that time and how is it playing out in your work? Yeah, so that was a, a really cool opportunity. Um, the Eric Sloan Museum in Connecticut has Eric Sloan's entire studio, which includes his personal library. And as we've discussed, I'm a big fan of finding kind of historic reference materials. So I was I was only there for a couple of days and regret not being able to to spend more time there, but spent a couple of days basically just going through all the books in his library that he had referenced stuff from and finding finding some of his old sketches in these books and then doing kind of my interpretations from the same reference material so working from the same the same body of knowledge in a sense to create a different body of work i ended up tattooing a, a silicone arm um, as the kind of final final piece there that I think it will be on display again uh, when the museum reopens in the spring, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's got a bunch of the iterative sketches and some of the books from which I'd referenced, some of which do have Sloan's like original sketches in them as well. And have you, beyond the silicone arm, have you tattooed anyone else with any Sloan-esque designs now that you've been so inspired? I don't think I have yet, but I did schedule one for later this month. So I will be doing... Um, one that was inspired by 
a book of um, kind of historic New England tombstone motifs. I'll be doing one of those soon. Very cool. Now, if people are listening and they are in the region, I mean, obviously you said if you if there's a shop out there that wants to host you to do a spot for a while, you're op- open to that. And we'll have your contact info and your Instagram um, in the show notes for this episode. But if um, people listening are in your in your area and are going to be nearby and they want to get a tattoo, how do they how do they do that? Uh, yeah. So I'm at um, I'm at the Boston Tattoo Company in Somerville, Mass. And they can find me on Instagram at Owen the Massachusetts. Um, they can find me there and send me a DM or ideally an email and we can work something out. Uh, I also have a website that's the Massachusetts.com that will have kind of links to a bunch of that stuff as well. And is Massachusetts itself a, a historical reference? Is that something is. we should all know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you should all know it because it is anachronistic. But I was trying to figure out there's not a good denonym for a, a Bay Stater. I don't think Owen the Bay Stater has quite the same ring to it. Um, I was kind of trying to reference, you know, like there's a there's actually a shop called Bobby from Boston, but I'm not actually from Boston. So I couldn't I couldn't rightfully claim that. Um, so I kind of settled on Massachusetts as a, a strange anachronism and I've just kind of stuck with it. Well, I, I really like it. I think it's a it's a cool and, and unique thing. And it's been fun talking with you and getting to hear about about this trade that you're keeping alive. Um, have you before we go, I'm, I'm curious, sort of, you know, the, the, the general question we ask is kind of what's next. We also like to ask people about their favorite historic sites. But I'm mm-hmm. also curious, ha, has it inspired you to kind of like think about where you fall within the history of tattooing? Do you are you researching or finding older tattoo artists that have worked in where you're at? Is there sort of that, that continuum of history? Cause I know that tradespeople often are interested in the people who came before them when it comes to trades. Have you talked to any old hand poked tattoo artists? Are there even any left from an er- much earlier period or did it die out? And then kind of, was it resurrected? It, it so definitely died out somewhat in the professional tattooing realm. Um, I mean, I think people have always been, you know, hand poking in their, in their living room for friends or whatever. But I, I've Darren Bray, who's I think based up in Portsmouth is a historian and collector and put together an incredible book, um, about the history of tattooing in Boston, um, called, what is it? Let me, it's on my shelf here. I can grab this loud, naked and in three colors. And it follows the, Liberty family that was, I think, three generations of tattoo artists in Scully Square in Boston. Um, and that's been an, an incredible reference. Um, it's got a lot of a lot of their original flash drawings that I, I would love to do my own takes on. I've done a bunch of sketches inspired by them. Um, and it's really fascinating seeing like the history of Boston through that lens because Scully Square, where they all worked, was something of a red light district at the time and has been completely raised by um urban renewal which a real shame so i can't go back to their shops or find any real references to it anymore fascinating but no the the other artists are are a huge inspiration historic artists and talking to some of the old timers has been really useful as well um just because there are skills that a lot of younger tattoo artists don't have anymore such as making one's own needles that 
I, I make some of my own needles to do especially bold lines because they don't sell super large needle clusters because most machines don't have the power to push those into the skin. But as a hand poker artist, that's not a, not really a concern at all. Hmm. So I had to reach out to some old timers to actually teach me how to make the needles because none of the, none of my peers really know how to anymore. Interesting. Well, like a lot of, you know, and you, and you hear that too in, in various trades where they have to make their own tools uh, because sometimes the tools themselves are, are no longer there. Um, before we go, we do ask everyone, um, you know, and we'll, we'll put the links in here so everybody can find you and, and check out all of your cool um, tattoos. There's a lot of lot that you post on Instagram. Um, but do you have a favorite historic place or site? It's normally a pretty agonizing question for someone that comes on PreserveCast, but um, we let them escape by saying the last, the last place you've been as well, if you can't pick one. Yeah, it's, I, it's a tough one. That's for sure. Um, does it have to be North American specifically? No, or can I- no. Anywhere in the world. Okay. Well, so the, the folk museum in Oslo is definitely a, a highlight. Um, it's like a folk architecture museum. It's absolutely massive. Think like Sturbridge village or Plymouth plantation on a, an enormous scale with every County of Norway being represented. Uh, that would definitely be one of, one of the, the kind of historic sites or museums, I guess, that I was most impressed by, but well, I be- also, I'm always intrigued by like shops or other other spaces that have been around for a long time and just haven't changed. So like there's a tobacconist in Harvard Square called Levitt and Pierce, and they haven't redecorated since like 1890 or something. Uh, and it's it's just a, a little time capsule or the Providence Athenaeum, kind of the same deal. It's just an old, old library and they haven't haven't gutted it. And it's incredibly charming that it's still doing the same thing that it was doing. 120 years ago, 150 years ago. Yeah. Well, those are, those are all great ones. I love the, the tobacconist. I'm sure it has a certain uh, smell to it, a wonderfully sweet yeah. aroma. And, uh, and the, the Norwegian site sounds like perhaps a, a one we should try and get on PreserveCast in the future and talk yeah. with them. Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Um, hopefully, um, someone out there listening, uh, will schedule, uh, a, uh, uh, a tattoo sitting. I, I can assure you there's no kickbacks here. We're not getting any uh, royalties for any anything we sell here, but um, would love to hear about a success story that comes out of it. Um, and uh, looking forward to seeing what you do next and all the great art that you create. So thanks so much for joining us today, Owen. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.